Welcome everyone to this episode of the Palmetto Guardian. I'm Sergeant Chelsea Baker. I'm Sergeant Tim Andrews. And back again, we have some familiar faces. I'll let you guys go ahead and introduce yourself and then we'll kind of get back into the podcast today. I'm John Freeman. I'm Heather McPherson. And both of you guys are with the military, South Carolina Military Museum. That's right. And we get to share our lovely office space with you guys, which is awesome. We keep you in the attic. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I feel like that's where we're at is in the attic. <laughs> Um, but we had you guys on a while ago and now that the display downstairs, cause that's what the podcast was about was the, um, display of VJ, VJ day. And now that it's up and running, I kind of want to just bring you guys back in and kind of talk about it and see how it's been going since the display has been open. It was a crazy process. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure that's what, that's what Heather would have to say about it. You know, we, we found things as it was going along we wanted to put into it, and then plans change, and we have construction starting here soon. So mm-hmm. we're like, oh, well, we can't do that. We have to do this completely differently. So we're very happy to have it behind us now. Yeah. But uh, it's getting a lot of nice things in it. My parents came by yesterday, so parental <laughs> approval. <laughs> <laughs> they approve of all your hard yes. work. <laughs> many, many pictures were taken, so, you know. Yeah, we're, we're pretty happy. It's sort of it's sort of turning a corner and that we're actually starting to use a lot more um, different types of displays in mm-hmm. our exhibits, and hopefully we can keep using it in the future. So we're very proud of it. Hopefully we can take what we've learned here for the BJ Day and apply it to the rest of the museum you know, when we have the time. So what exactly do you mean by that as far as, like, what's already displayed or, like, how your process is to recreating displays? Um, all of it, really. Yeah, uh, we've, we've been we, going to a couple of museums over the last couple of years and some conferences and getting some ideas just how to display things a little bit better and better standards, I guess. Yeah, most of our exhibits were built in 2007, 2008, mm-hmm. and um, some of the things, artifacts in there are getting a little tired, so we'd like to swap them out, but when we do, we'd like to have better, newer cases to do it with, so it's just easier access for us and things like that, and yeah. that's sort of what we've implemented in um in the exhibit downstairs so hopefully we can apply that to the larger museum going forward in the future piece by piece not all at once yeah so how does the museum acquire like the artifacts that you guys have in the uh exhibit downstairs how do you guys acquire that uh exactly just walk in the door yesterday uh we we got a japanese flag from world war ii and and the guy's father's uniform and um, we had a lithograph signed by a B-29 navigator the other day. So it's just people call up and they're like, well, do you have this? And we're like, well, no, that'd be pretty cool. Sometimes we have to turn some stuff down if it doesn't have a lot of history behind it. And we got, you know, doubles or triplicates of it. Um, but most of the time they'll just give us a call and walk in the door. Yeah, typically. We get, I'd say, three to five calls a week. Mm-hmm. People oh, wow. wanting to donate things. And like I said, we can't always take what they mm-hmm. want to give us, but usually it's unique enough that we can we can find a spot for in our collection hmm. okay i didn't know realize that like i know that you guys have had donations and stuff but i didn't realize that it was that often that people mm-hmm. were contacting you to bring those artifacts and stuff in for you guys and you know if anyone wants to donate we'd prefer just you know call the front office we'll answer and we'll work it out that doesn't mean that people also don't just walk in the door with it yeah and we, we, have, to, <laughs> we have to we have to tell right then and there if we need it or don't need it but yeah. um we're happy to have people because that's the only way we have our collection is people bringing it in. Um, some museums will buy things that are rare or, you know, they think is very valuable to their collection. But fortunately, we haven't been to the point where we feel like we need to do that because funds to do that are also kind of tight. So mm-hmm. we're, we're pretty lucky. It just typically walks in off the street. Yeah. I was walking around the display and because, I mean, it was cool to see how you guys took it from nothing to what it is now and how you 
like piece it all together and put things in certain places. And um, I know that you guys were talking last time about the significance of the suitcase that's down there. Mm. Now that you guys have everything all set up and everything, is there, do you still feel like that's one of your favorite pieces? Yeah. Actually yesterday when, when I was um, showing my parents around, I, I noticed I'd done something unconsciously because um, the suitcase she's referring to is from uh, William Farrow. He was a dual raider, but he was from South Carolina um, and he went to USC. So I was getting some of his school papers that we have out and I just picked one at random and didn't notice the date on it. And yesterday I did, and it's April 18th, 1940. Two years later was the Doodle Raid. So it's, oh, just, wow. it's just weird, crazy things <laughs> like that that get, give you chills. Like I, I didn't even notice that I did that. So yeah, it's still my favorite piece. Yeah. I, I would, um, it's cool to see all the stuff back then because it's weird to place it in that time. Like, because they're so old and all that kind of stuff. And to see the uniforms, like, the flight jackets are really cool. And that's one of my favorite things down there. Yeah, but to, like, think that somebody was actually wearing that. And Mm -hmm. it's just crazy. And and you just see the display. And you don't realize all the history behind it. And it's nice that people are donating these items to be able to share that with everybody. And for us to learn that history behind it. And both of their families came by too, so mm-hmm. really especially special. you know, not, I don't think one of those is a loan and one is a donation. Is it correct? Or are they both donations? I think they're both donations. Both donations. So sometimes you get loans because people know how important that is, and they only want us to put it on display for a while. Or like say, mm-hmm. they like they don't want any use for it, but they might in ten years with the yeah. this stuff. So you know, the valuable things that people don't want to get rid of doesn't necessarily mean we can't use it in the museum we do loans fairly regularly but um hmm, i didn't know that either mm-hmm. depends on the item yeah, yeah. Like, like one of them was a, a may west vest that survived all the way through the war because the french family that, that took in the um crash crewman you know just saved the, the vest and then years later they gave it back to him and that family's like well the the grandson you know he, he likes the story and he knows the significance of it but he's still young and yeah so it's just a loan until he gets older and, and can take it in himself so stories like that hmm. i'd have to say my favorite uh favorite piece down there is the tail wing oh it's awesome isn't it it looks like it's got a, a lot of a kinetic uh, experience yeah <laughs> so it wasn't seen in action actually really it, um yeah it came off of a judy um japanese bomber naval naval bomber but it was captured well i say captured it was left on a runway in the philippines when it was taken back over and i believe marines are the ones responsible for shooting the plane up when i guess they were needed some target practice so all the bullet holes that actually got while it was on the ground but oh, okay. um, it's still a fantastic piece, and I haven't yet, but if you look at the, the tail numbers, I haven't had a chance to research it. If you look at the tail number that's on it, you can actually find out which unit it was with, and I believe it was attached to a carrier at some point. Then you can find out where that carrier served throughout the war to sort of see, like, where that tail fin may have been. Hmm. So it's it's pretty cool. Jeez, I'm learning all kinds of new stuff today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's just a shortage of time because there's all sorts of great stories like um, – Earlier this week, Heather, someone brought in something like we found this in like the back of a drawer we were I'm restoring. Tell you are going to tell the story. I'm just setting it up for. I'm just I'm putting it on a platter. And they brought in. Can you use it? And I was like, Yeah, we probably use it. But Heather was doing research. Oh yeah, I, I got giddy with it because I was I was uh, just writing it up for our system, and then I was like, It'd be really great if we could figure out who this belonged to. And there's these newspapers that came with it, but they were different names. And all of a sudden, I was like, Maybe the name on the stationary is a name because it was it was a craddock war yeah, it, it almost was like, a, like weird it was a hotel name, name yeah. or something hmm. but what it was was um you know world war ii writing letters back home they would be censored so what he had done is written a key so mm-hmm. like russia was ruby 
So when he could write home like, uh, yeah, I'm seeing Ruby tonight or something, it was really that he was near Russia. So it was a key for his parents to know where he was, um, you know, at any any point in the war. And we ended up, I kind of went through, you know, Google, uh, the, good, the good Googles, and figured out that he had a really big connection with St. Matthew's and the, the newspaper that had been 87 years family owned. And now, you know, we have this little piece of history that really no one knew a backstory to it. And now it's, you know, in our now collection. You know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just got that history tied to yeah. it. So what was a really cool piece that just in itself being a key to letters home ended up having a really strong tie to South Carolina. How does that work your process for researching? Like, because it's do like you hit dead ends? <laughs> like, is, do you hit dead ends Jeez. or do you always like? Are you able to? How did how did people find out this information? Like, I just I don't understand. It baffles well, me. When she was doing the research, she thought she hit a dead end because okay. like none of these names tied together, and she like set it down, and then she was just writing up a description for it for the accession, and then she like. You can see on the piece of paper where she <laughs> literally stopped and the brain started working. She's like, wait a minute. So a lot of times it just, it, I don't know, it just we, comes through. And we had, we're lucky enough that in World War II they had roster books. So if you enlisted here in South Carolina, you know, they, they printed up in like this volume of, of books alphabetically. So you can look up names based on it. So some South Carolinians, if, if they enlisted, like say in New York, they might not be in these books. But mm-hmm. yeah, we've lucked out a lot with those roster books trying to track down some names. Hmm. But yeah, it typically it's just don't give up doing the research. Like yeah. um, that tail fin below, um, you know, when you have something that comes in, you really want a well-documented history mm-hmm. because that's less work you have to do when you display it because you don't want to display something that may not, you may not know the factual history of it because you could misrepresent the item. Um, so like the tail fin downstairs, we had one history that said it was from a kamikaze pilot and it was put on board this ship and this and this and this and this. And I was like... Okay, well, that's one history. But the more we looked into it, we actually found out it was a piece from another museum that used to be in Florence called the Florence Air, Air and Missile Museum. Yeah. The Florence Air and Missile Museum. And then we had to find out their history from, I think it was like a website that was last updated in like 2002 or something wow. like that. It talked about the history of that specific piece, made the photos, and they match. So really, it takes just a lot of, a lot of time and work. Yeah. Have you ever had people come in and walk to, through the museum and tell you something you didn't know about yes. things that you have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the, all the time. Simply because <laughs> we have so much stuff. Yeah. I mean, we can't be, you know, Heather's expert in World War II, but at the same time you could have, we have pieces, we have swords from the 16 and 1700s and firearms from the 1950s and boat, truck, hybrid, lark vehicles outside from the 60s. So, I mean, you can't know everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Especially because, I mean, if you look at the South Carolina Military Museum compared to, like, a bigger museum, it still has a lot of stuff. Like, even though you guys are so, like, you're smaller and stuff, but you, but this museum has, it's geared more towards a specific area than just a generic around-the-world type history. But it's just cool to see how so much history can be in such a small space. I mean, you guys took the downstairs, and you you didn't use the full area, but you used a good chunk of it, and the amount of stuff that is down there that you can walk around and look at, it's amazing, because otherwise we wouldn't know about all that stuff, and we wouldn't be able to share that with the public. Yeah, a lot, I was probably going to say the same thing you wrote, um, we're going to say a lot of it goes into design. Oh, I was going to say a lot of them are South Carolinians too. Oh, yeah. we, we prefer South Carolinians, but <laughs> yeah. a lot of it goes in design because like there are so many things that we want to throw in that exhibit and we're like, well, now this battle's got like 
10 artifacts, mm-hmm. but the spell has nothing. So we have to try to fit the whole scope of what the exhibit's about in one location without, you know, well, this half is Pearl Harbor, and then the other seven major conflicts in Pacific are over here. So we have to try to balance it out, make sure it does tell that whole story um, evenly. Otherwise, it just looks lopsided. Yeah. Um, what kind of feedback have you guys received with having this exhibit um, opening now? Been good so far. Like I said, we had um, you know the family members of some of the South Carolinians, and um, I think one one guy. It was it was like the day we opened it. He just happened to be coming and checking in on on his dad's jacket, and we're like, well, you know, it's actually on display. And I, we've had some. We actually had a World War II veteran who um, came by. What was that? Like two days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he was actually on the LSTs that took some of the troops to Guadalcanal. Hmm. And he, I, I walked up to him. He was in gallery two. And he's like, yeah, I've about walked all I can walk. But I was like, well, there's another exhibit on VJ Day. And he's like, oh, okay. So he you know, he still had enough energy to go see that and then, then talk to us a little bit about, about his service. So um, that was really great to even have, you know, actual Pacific Theater veteran go in, and view it. So I think it's been really positive so far. And we're just now starting to get the word out a little bit more. Yeah, I was going to say, could you um, tell us where you guys are as far as social media, where they platforms you have that people can find you at and like your hours and all that kind of stuff of operation? You know that better than I do. Oh, yeah, we're on, <laughs> we're on Facebook. We we're, we're, we're need to be more active on Twitter, but we are on there and, and Instagram and things like that. Um, but, you know, we're, we're staying late on um, Wednesday and Thursday, still 530 because we're still not open on Saturday. We still got to get that volunteer core back. Um, but yeah. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Friday, 10 to 4, and Wednesday and Thursday, 10 to 5.30. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate both of you coming back again, and I was excited to actually be able to talk about the display and walk around it and see everything because last time you guys were still piecing it together, but I'm excited that it's open. How long do you foresee this staying open, or do you think that it'll stay until you decide to um, come up with something Probably else? January. January? We're, we're, we're thinking January. <laughs> we're discussing January. <laughs> Are there plans for something after that? Uh, we're actually, uh, you know, Desert Shield, Desert Storm anniversary is coming up. Uh, Carolina Maneuvers anniversary is coming up. So we might do some more if we can get some more modern displays up and then just kind of work with some of the other um, museums in the area with the Carolina Maneuvers as a kind of a separate little event, too. And we have some big changes coming for mm. the first two galleries of the museum as well. So oh, nice. There might not be something happening as far as our temporary gallery, but mm-hmm. the, ma- the main galleries will actually be having right. some big changes. So. Awesome. Well, we'll have to get the insider scoop on that. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, if you are listening or watching, make sure you like um, our video. If you haven't subscribed to our channel, make sure you hit the subscribe button, and we will catch you guys in the next episode.